Hey, hey there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back. It's another Red Pill Religion podcast, Red Pill Religion, where amongst the things we say are that it is okay to criticize or analyze any religious grouping, ethnicity, or culture, especially its leadership and most prominent members. Also, politics, culture, and religion can never be separated, so stop trying to do that. If you like the kind of content we support here, we do here, please support our work on redpillreligion.com. As everybody knows, social media being what it is, we've been chased all over the place, but this this website has been solid. So if we disappear off of your favorite platform, please find us here. If you can drop us something in the PayPal or the Bitcoin or find us on Subscribestar or MeWe app, we would really appreciate it. We are still holding on to Patreon for a few people, but in any case, uh, and we may wrap up Patreon this month. We probably will. Um, in any case, I'm pleased to say that tonight we have as our guest Charles Moskowitz of charlesmoskowitz.com. You'll find the link to his page on uh, redpillreligion.com and in the low bar. Oh, by the way, also, everybody, please will start looking for us on BitChute, and we are looking to build our presence on Libsyn, so start looking for us there. But anyway, visit Charles Moskowitz if you want to find his homepage or get his contact information. We'll have that link there. You can also find his author page, which we're going to ask him about on Amazon. Uh, but he especially wanted me to point out that he has a YouTube channel. I don't know why. He must be just suicidal and wanting to, <laughs> wanting to self-immolate within a year, but he's wanting to make a YouTube channel. I, I feel you, buddy. Um, we're, we're still here too, for some reason. Say, say hello to the people, Charles or Chuck. You like Thank Chuck? you, Max. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a uh, great honor. I'm glad to have you. <coughs> oh my goodness. Excuse me. I apologize everybody. I need a little water. Um, Not at all. Charlie you, or Chuck, you came to my attention when, uh, I saw you interviewing, uh, E. Michael Jones. And as a fellow Catholic, I really enjoy E. Michael Jones and have learned a lot from him, although he sometimes makes me wince. I wish he were my godfather. I, I really love the guy. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're a fan, even though you don't agree with him all the time anyway, right? Right, exactly. Yes. Um, Great man. Particularly a good culture critic. I like his book, Degenerate Moderns, is one of my favorites. Um, I think that he's right on the money with his analysis of the the sexualization of the culture and how that's brought us into a, almost a, a condition of bondage and of weakness. Um, and his, and the assault on Western civilization is, is right on, is spot on. I mean, he's, he's great insight, great, great critique. That's very interesting. I think, and, and I, I, it's a very interesting thing for me as a Catholic, because I wasn't always Catholic. I am a convert. Um, and I, I have always had a very warm feeling towards, uh, the Jews. I just have, uh, now I know now even part of that is just from Hollywood and all the fun movies about Jews, but I mean, it worked. I never felt the least bit animosity to Jews and always felt, you know, outraged at the Holocaust from a very early age. And so, you know, anti-Semitism always seemed foreign to me, um, but, you know, as I aged and, and, and you know, I'm 53 this year and and as I aged, I just started started starting to notice it's like I'm starting to get me some Holocaust fatigue and a little uh, like really uh, uh, it, the, like it, I, it really struck me the point he made that we're not allowed to be critical of Jews at all, or were immediately accused of anti-Semitism. And that stings because I'm starting to feel the real truth of it, not with my Jewish friends, um, but like, you know, I've made some statements that got me about Israel that got me banned. Uh, I got a week suspension for just saying something about Zionists on, on uh, Facebook. And it, it wasn't even, a, it was, what I literally said was, I thought, uh, I thought rich, powerful Zionists would not hesitate if they wanted to, to kill little Jews or Christians. Mm -hmm. That got me a weak suspension for hate speech. I really? I, I don't think that that statement is out of bounds, especially because rich and powerful people are like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's your opinion, and I, I support your right to have it. And um, I think that what's going on here, and 
this was exposed recently by Breitbart, is that the, uh, the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith has been working with Facebook, and Facebook owns YouTube, let's face it, uh, and uh, perhaps do Google. They? Yeah, they do. Uh-huh. And, and Google, I think, to uh, set up a, an algorithm system that will knock out anyone who makes any comments that they view as, quote, unquote, hate speech. Um, and, and certainly anything that's viewed as anti-Semitic. And uh, I, I think this is a big, big mistake for them to do that. You know, I understand that they're supposed to, you know, confront anti-Semitism. Fine. That's their right. That's their business. But to go into the business of censorship, it's only going to fan the flames of anti-Semitism. And it's it's wrong. It's, it's un-American. You know, we're supposed to have we're supposed to err on the side of freedom and have a, a, and a free speech. Um, this whole movement, and certainly the ADL is a part of it, is part of the criminalization and the weaponizing of any um, anything that doesn't agree with the left. And it's really started with the weaponizing of, of racism. If you say something that is deemed as racist, you're finished. Your career is over. Look what just happened to this poor kid, Kyle Kassoff, um, accepted at Harvard. All of a sudden, it comes out that he made some stupid comments years ago is it when he was 16, where he used the N-word and, and whatnot. And he, Harvard, has rescinded his, his application. I mean, he was, he was scheduled to go there. I mean, and, and they only did it because he's not goose-stepping to the left. Um, you know, so you have a... Um, a weaponizing of of racism, where you have an elite left-wing group that decides what is racist and what isn't. Uh, Then you have, you know, the weaponizing of any criticism of homosexuality or or transgenderism. Um, You know, I certainly got a glimpse of that when in 2004, I ran for Congress in Massachusetts against Barney Frank, one of America's most visible and preeminent gay men. And um, I said nothing against that, but I was vilified and I saw this ugly side of that movement where anyone who disagrees with any of their positions, you know, can really be destroyed. And and it's very fascistic. Um, You certainly cannot criticize Islam. Like, for example, I could not read quotes from the Quran, from the Tadith, from Islamic texts on my YouTube program, because if I did, the show would be pulled off immediately. And if I and that would be reading them without any kind of commentary, just reading them for what they are. You know, and uh, that's because you get this group called Care, which is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. That's just like the ADL is acting. They will censor you, and they will have you removed. In fact, I know of a talk show host who had a pretty big show in Washington D.C. on a on a big main radio station. Who was fired because he did just that? He quoted from the Quran, care called the station, and he was fired. So this is part of a bigger movement to censor anyone that doesn't genuflect to the left is really what it comes down to. I, I, I agree generally about it being a bigger movement. I'm personally moving away from the left-right phrasing because I'm less, I'm personally more and more seeing that part of a phony dialectic. I'm one of those people who thinks there's been a fake right versus a real right and a fake left versus a real left. Global forces control so much of our political dialectic. And, and it, you know, but I, I agree in broad strokes. This, this, with a lot of that, this leads to what started bothering me about E. Michael Jones, who's, and this is not just E. Michael Jones, but other people, because like I say, I'm going to give nothing but respect to the man. Um, but, Every time he says Jews and starts talking about Jews in the aggregate, um, most of the time he doesn't, but sometimes he slips into, I'm not going to call it anti-Semitism because that's not fair, just getting slippery in usage and it starts feeling wrong, right? It starts Mm -hmm. feeling like everything's being attributed to the Jewish people, but it's like, okay, are the Jewish people responsible for the Jewish mob, for example? Well, then are the Italians responsible for the Italian? It starts feeling wrong somehow. And I started thinking, well, how would we taxonomize this out? And uh, based on my experience, not, I, I wound up saying 
developing a taxonomy of Jews. And then afterwards, I mean, I was sitting there looking with a Jewish friend, and he says, you know, this could apply to an awful lot of ethnic groups. And I said, you're right. Um, so we start with this. And, and, and this is, of course, a way of looking at people. Um, and it's not the way, but it's a way. And certainly when we're talking about cultural issues where ethnicity and religion and ideology are clashing, it's good to have a taxonomy. And this seems to work. Um, which is that, let's say if we were talking about your average Englishman right now, actually, or uh, your average Hungarian, you could say that politically, with the global forces going on, the big geopolitical forces, they tend to divide into globalist Marxists. Marxists are everywhere, man, including all over the Arab world and the so-called Muslim world. Um, secular ethnic nationalists, your white nationalists, your black nationalists, your Arab nationalists, and by the way, study the Middle East, and it is lousy with Arab nationalists. Um, these are secular ideologies, both global, uh, both Marxism and, and most secular nationalist groups are, you know, they'll have religious trappings, but they're not real religious. Mm -hmm. right. um, then you have, you have thugs. Everybody's got thugs opportunists, you know, today I'm a commie, tomorrow I'm a fascist, uh, next week I'm a, I'm a libertarian, where's the money, right, and who do I got to kill? And then you have your pious religious folks, um, and then you have your average citizen who may have leanings for any of these other six, or these other five, uh, in any, you know, maybe a convoluted mishmash, one's a little more religious than another, but the average citizen isn't at the top of running any of these. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So, when we look at, yeah. Now, then, when we look at Jews, uh, maybe we take out six here because that's a distraction. But it looks exactly the same once you once you realize that Zionism at root is a secular ethnic nationalist ideology. Mm -hmm. And once I started seeing Zionism is exactly that because it's not a particular religious movement. It is, and you you can get in trouble for saying this, but it is. Zionism itself is not a, was not originally a religious movement. It was a secular movement. Um, and a lot of religious Jews don't like Zionism. And to me, when I look at Israeli politics and Middle Eastern politics especially, and when I look at the influence of uh, Arab nationalists, you know, like the, the Ba'ath Party and the Syrian Nationals Party and all that, those are fascist parties. And, and Zionism looks suspiciously like that to me, ultimately, because it's got a very troubled history, including of abusing religious Jews. And, and, and this taxonomy to me works pretty well and actually, to me, makes Middle Eastern politics make a little more sense. What, what are your things? And by the way, you're not nailed down to your response because I just sprang this on you. So you can come back tomorrow and say, I take back everything I just said. But. <laughs> no, that's okay. What are your um, impressions? Well, my thought is that Zionism is a religious movement, even if the people who occupy it and populate it are not quote-unquote religious. It's religious because it is an integral part of Jew Judaism. It is in the Torah. <clears throat> God commanded Abraham to take possession of that tiny little swath of land that exists between the Great Sea or the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. The entire five books of Moses are about this. I, I mean, I am not a rabbi. I don't totally understand why God does what God does, but this is what we're commanded to do. This is what um, Moses spent, you know, 40 years in the desert in the Sinai so that the people could become uh, aware enough of their, of their spirituality and free of their slave mentality to the degree that they would be ready to go up and take possession of that land. That is what the whole story of Judaism is about, um, all the way from, the, from the, um, the, the taking of the land under Joshua, the building of the state, the creation of Jerusalem under David, <clears throat> the kingdom, the battle between the north and the south, the resurrection of the, of the state under, under the Maccabees um, with the permission of the Persian uh, you know, empire, and then eventually the, the defeat of the Greeks. And, uh, and it goes through every generation of Judaism, this idea of, 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 of once again obtaining uh, literal sovereignty in that small piece of land where we can be ourselves, where we can uh, 
become holier as a people, and where by doing so we can fulfill our raison d'etre, our mission, which is to set the stage for the messianic age. And um, the fact that in modern times, the, the, the Zionist movement was pretty much co-opted by secular Jews, I, you know, it's been said that these people were atheistic, and they certainly were, but I even think that they had an understanding of the religious significance of, of the creation of Israel. That Israel is more than just a, a you know a national movement. It is a national movement, but it's a religio national movement. It's an ethnic national movement that's also religious. It's 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 more complicated than simply a national movement that you'd have in any other country. There is a religious and a spiritual side to Zionism that exists. Now I had a very interesting. Uh, interview with a rabbi years ago who explained to me, and I think he was right, that even the most secular of Jews who live in Israel and who are Israelis are fulfilling more than half of the Torah just by being there, you know, just by their presence. And so, you know, to my way of thinking, the existence of Israel as a sovereign state, as a national state, which is also a Jewish state, is not only a fulfillment of the Torah and of all of the precepts and the moral and ethical precepts of the Torah, but it also is, is uh, very much consonant with Christian ideals and with Muslim ideals, I may add. You know, in, uh, in Islam, there's, a t there's talk about the people of the book, you know, achieving their sovereignty in Jerusalem, and then that leads to the coming of the Messiah. Christianity has a version of it as well. So to my way of thinking, believing people have a, have a stake in the success of the Israeli experiment, which is to ingather the exiles, create a Jewish society, raise the spirituality of that society so that they know God, and as such, lead the way for the entire world to know God. Well, all right. I have a few problems with that analysis, but I can't say my knowledge is encyclopedic. But the first, the first thing is that, and I recall even this from my childhood, but then hearing it, and, but then later on, I, I, I recently interviewed a rabbi, uh, Yisrael David Weiss, uh, and, and uh, you know, he gave a very compelling presentation saying that the modern nation state of Israel is not anything Torah observant Jews should be supporting. The, the, the Jews aren't supposed to go and mass back to the Holy Land until the Messiah actually comes. And nobody's supposed to try and rebuild the temple until the Messiah actually comes to do this. And the Jews aren't supposed to be doing this. And pointing to crimes of the Zionist regime that the that he thinks are, are stains on the on the hands of the Jews. Do you think? And I, I don't think he's that radical uh, a minority among uh, among Orthodox rabbis. But I mean, what what do you say to those who are of that strain of Judaism and say, hey, this is just a secular movement and it's not Torah observant at all. The, the borders are wrong. We're not supposed to be there anyway until the Messiah comes. You reject all that thinking completely. He is absolutely wrong. He's entitled to his opinion. But, you know, not only is he wrong, but he is somebody who actively is acting as an enemy of Israel. He actually went to Iran, met with Ahmadinejad, and was supporting, you know, the destruction of Israel. And to my way of thinking, I mean, that, that's really traitorous behavior. You know, look, he is, you know, a purist. He's a perfectionist. In a sense, he's a communist right, in that way, in that he wants, you know, people to be perfect. And we're not perfect. We're, in, we're images of God. No human being is perfect. Only God is perfect. And as such, if you look at the story of the Torah, it is a struggle between raising the spirituality and the descent away from spirituality and toward idol worship. That is the whole tension of the Torah from the days of Abraham till today. And, you know, we've had terrible, terrible falls in the, in the, in the course of, of this journey, as have all people. We're not perfected people. You know, if he wants to have some kind of a perfection, 
that that's almost like he's trying to replace God. I mean, I would think that that's blasphemous. You know, that's like the uh, sin of the uh, of of the serpent. You can know God. You can know good and evil. Only God is perfect. We're imperfect beings. We're reflections of God. We're, we're images of God. So all we can do is strive to create a better society. And Israel is by far means not a perfect place. I mean, believe me. But I would suggest that that the still the hope is there to create a, a great society, a moral society. And I think that Israel is is you know very much in that direction as is the United States. Interesting, interesting. I, I myself have come to, come to have a very negative view, to be honest, of, of my own country's government and its actions and its war machine over, over I mean, I've, I've, I've gone full circle too, because I used to be uh, much more a believer in America, spreading democracy and all that. But I, I don't think we've, ever, we've actually been doing that, especially the last few decades. And where I actually have gone down is I, I don't know. See, even when I hear you talk about uh, Israel this way, I'm like, every ethnic nationalist group has spiritual roots too, you know? Yes, of course it does. Every single ethnic nationalist group does. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, I, one of the biggest complaints, I and I know this is one of the dirty secrets in Israeli politics because I've you know, had contact with enough Israelis, the government there tends to treat pious, you know, the Orthodox Jews very poorly. Um, and to not be all that nice to other uh, religious groups either, uh, especially the Likud party, which even, you know, what you would call racism or Jew-on-Jew -Jew hate against Sephardic Jews is, is widely tolerated. And there's even been eugenicists among the Zionists. I mean, are you aware of, the, like, the attempts to get rid of the Sephardic Jews in Israel by by ethnic Zionists, not 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 you know obviously godless ones. What I would say to that is that there's a lot of truth to that in the very beginning of Israel's independence and in the decades leading up to Israel's independence. You know, the leadership was very much a part of this, as you say, this eugenic movement that was popularized by by Darwin. You know, this, uh, this scientizing of race. I mean, this was, you know, they were influenced by that. The United States, all countries were influenced by it. You know, uh, Moses Hess wrote this book, From Rome to Jerusalem, where he scientized Judaism as a race. I mean, this is a modern idea that, that didn't really exist in Jewish traditions. And that, you know, yes, you could say that the uh, much of the generation of the labor movement, the founders were into this idea of the uh, you know the European Jew and the Ashkenazi as as being the, the the superior Jew, and that they would be ruling Israel. What I would say to that is that at this point in in Israeli history, that that pretty much has gone. It's dissolved because of of intermarriage. Most Israelis, you know, the 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 Ashkenazi and the Sephardim are intermarried at this point. I mean, it's it's all kind of faded away those kinds of designations. I mean, I have a cousin, for example, <clears throat> who, um, and I know this is anecdotal, but I think it speaks to, to a, a generalized situation. He and his wife made Aliyah to Israel. They were Americans in the 1960s, partially because he didn't want to go to Vietnam, but, you know, they went to Israel and they had a family of four children. <clears throat> and of those four children, three of them married Sephardic spouses. And so, you know, that's very common in Israel. There's no longer this, you know, difference and separation. I mean, th those ideas are old. They're as discredited in Israel as Jim Crow is in the United States, where we separated black and white. I mean, we're talking about stuff that, you know, society has moved on from at this point. Well, I hope you're right about that. I mean, I've heard, I've heard, to the contrary, that it hasn't. I guess ultimately, I I, I can't know. I, I guess uh, you're right. Uh, from from this perspective, though, I mean, isn't the I mean the way you're talking, at least within the Holy Land or whatever, isn't the I mean, for example, Orthodox Christianity generally. I don't even just mean the Catholics, but I mean certainly the Catholics think this. Um, but so do the Eastern Orthodox. The Assyrian Orthodox, the Oriental Orthodox, 
very common uh, in the area around Israel and all that, all think that the Christian religion is the new Israel. Right. And so from, while there's Christian Zionists in the U.S., mostly of the evangelical varieties, more Orthodox Christians will look at something like Israel and say, well, that has no particular, you know, we're the continuation of Judaism, you know, that's just some sort of, I mean, like, we have no allegiance to it, you know what I mean? I understand that. I mean, sir, I, I get that as well. E. Michael Jones has talked about that with me, and I understand it. I respect it. Of course they think that. I mean, they think that with the ministry of Jesus as the Messiah, that replaced Judaism and fulfilled Judaism, and thus was created the new Israel, the new covenant. Um, I understand it. Look, obviously I don't agree with it. If I did, I'd be Christian. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I tend to subscribe to the... Um, a different interpretation here from both a Jewish and a Christian perspective, one that is probably never going to be embraced by most Christians or Jews, and that is the dual covenant theory. It seems to me obvious to be the case that, you know, the, the original Mosaic covenant, which Jesus himself is attributed to having stated, will never change, for, and, and that is forever. There's a quote in the book of Matthew and in the book of Acts, where he says this, that that remains forever. Forever means forever. We continue as Jews to, to try to live by and fulfill that covenant every day of our lives, have done so from the beginning till today. But at the same time, the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was messianic at least. I mean, and, and I'll get into in a minute what how Jews have reevaluated Jesus. But, but his ministry... It would be messianic if for no other reason than that he brought the Torah and all of its moral and ethical precepts, and, and as Dr. Jones would say, it's logos, mm. to much of the world. He brought it to Europe. If it hadn't been for Jesus, we wouldn't have had Western civilization. We wouldn't have had Europe. We wouldn't have had the United States. I mean, he has to have been the greatest man, if not Messiah, the greatest man to ever live for that reason. His ministry was able to be a conveyor of the Torah, by, of God, to a large portion of mankind, and really probably all of mankind. So you have the dual covenant. You have the Mosaic covenant, which is forever, and you have the, 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 uh, the Christ covenant, the Jesus covenant, which, which exists alongside it, which was grafted in, as I've heard some people say. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree on the particulars. But I would suggest that, that this is obviously true. And one of the pieces of proof of that is the fact that not only has Christianity flourished and, and created this great civilization, but Judaism has continued as well and eventually has borne fruit in many forms, particularly in the creation of Israel and other factors. So it seems to me as a, as a simple observation that you have a dual covenant going on i uh I'll, I'll somewhat split the difference with you um this is hard and of course there are going to be there are going to be some hardcore catholics who are going to get on me and say they're not going to like it but i think a surprising number of them and other more orthodox christian thinkers i do know that within that basically while the hardest of hardcore interpretation is look if you don't if you don't have christ and you don't do it exactly right you're going to hell no matter what uh, live by the law. You'll, no man can live by the law. Therefore, if you try and live by the Jewish law, you're going to wind up burning in hell. Um, and but there, there's another side of it, and I, I can quote popes on this. I can quote church fathers that it's like those who just even Saint Paul, John Paul, Saint John Paul the Great did say. For those who don't know the truth, some who might be invincibly ignorant of our faith. He wasn't just saying the Jews, but like atheists and uh, invincibly ignorant for whatever reason. They cannot see the truth, um, but they're trying in their hearts to serve God. There may be hope there. And I can split the difference there and even say, yes, I would point out an inconsistency in, in Christian theology uh, that I don't think some have thought through is the fact that a covenant is forever. So I don't like dual covenant theology is not do, don't stick it on me, but I will agree that um, the covenant of Abraham has to still be active somehow. 
it can't just be gone. It's forever because that's what a covenant yeah, is. Exactly. And I'd also add that it was St. Augustine of Hippo. And I got this information actually from E. Michael Jones's uh, book, The uh, Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, that um, he acknowledged this. And he said that because the Jews are trying, even if they are misguided because they don't recognize Jesus as Messiah, nevertheless, they are continuing to live by or try to live by the Mosaic Covenant, which is why Jews have to be respected and their worship has to be left, they have to be left alone to worship unmolested. Uh, you know, the uh, the Latin term for it was sicut Judeus non. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that was basically the governing theory of, of a thousand years of Catholic rule in Europe. And, um, and, and in a sense, I mean, maybe that could even be a tacit recognition of a dual covenant. I don't know, but yeah, I, I don't. Say, I don't want to put my toe in Catholic um, in yeah, theology. I, I, I won't. I actually think ultimately dual covenant theology has to be heretical. But at the same time, like I say, I'm almost splitting the difference because I am saying that old covenant can't be gone. It has to be somehow doing something for those who are trying. And I don't think God ignores the invincibly ignorant. I just don't. You know, I, I think the evidence that Jesus is who He said He is is more than sufficient but and, and it goes deeper than just that he's the messiah because he has a message for the entire world not just for the jews and that's right. that's a different thing but i will say to you that this sort of let's call it heterodox thinking is is to be found among all types of christians uh getting that that, that god can't just be completely ignoring people who are trying um, uh, you know, as I was, I was an atheist for years because I could not understand why any of you people would believe there was a God at all. I really couldn't. I, I, I could go into a long, you know, aside on that, but I don't need to. The bottom line is figuring out that it was rational really helped. Jews helped me with that. Muslims helped me with that. I actually get attacked all the time for being too friendly to Muslims, but it, you know, my journey to God included talking to all kinds of people about, well, why do you believe this, and why did you come to believe it, and all that, you know. I didn't have one of those, oh, suddenly Jesus, boom, moments, you know. It took a mm -hmm. lot of thought and a lot of care for me. And that's something we all come to God in our different ways. I mean, I definitely would, I, I do think, really, everybody's best bet would be to get baptized, take the Eucharist, and uh, but I can't say in the end I know who's going to hell, and I can't say God just ignores these covenants. One of the things Augustine, I think, observed too, if I'm not mistaken, if not him, it was certainly some others prominent, saying, well, you know, the continued existence of the Jews, will, even though they will not accept Christ, at the same time, in the end times, the Jews are supposed to convert. Well, the end times aren't here now, and if there aren't any Jews, that would be weird. There would be no Jews to right. come at the end times. Well, you know, it's sort of like there's an old joke in Israel that um, when, when, when the Messiah comes <clears throat> and he's standing on the top of the Mount of Olives getting ready to mount the, the donkey and go into the, uh, the Temple Mount, the Israelis are going to send up an official delegation. They're going to greet him. They're going to shake his hand and say, welcome to our country. Is this your first visit, or is this a return visit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we'll know, you know. Uh, then, we'll, then, then we'll know, but not until for Jews. I, yeah, I even had a son of an Orthodox rabbi tell me he had sneaking suspicions like that. Um, there, there, there's closet, we think we like Jesus secretly, Jews all over the place. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, geez, I, I think that I was going to talk about this a bit, that... Um, there has been a major reassessment of Jesus in Judaism. In what branch of it? or which All of it. I mean, it really started in the 18th century with uh, sort of the Orthodox rabbis of the time, particularly Rabbi Jacob Emden. And um, I would say that up until that time, generally speaking, the Jewish view of Jesus was, first of all, we admire Jesus for tribal reasons. He's one of us, right? <laughs> it's like I, as a Bostoner, I like the Boston Red Sox. You know, he's a winner. You know, we were proud of Jesus. Look what he did. I mean, he created this incredible religion. Um, and, and secondly, yet at the same time, we viewed him as somewhat of a, um, of a renegade, as a rebel, as somebody who kind of ran against the grain. And I think that more modern thinkers like Rabbi Emden and others 
have reassessed that, and they now view Jesus as having been a devout Jew his entire life. And that if you look at his arguments, even what we know, like the fragments that exist in the four Gospels and his debates with the Pharisees, for example, the Pharisees were the rabbis of their time. And his criticism of them is very much within the reasonable type of debate that we have. I'm, critic I'm critical of the rabbis today for the same reason that Jesus was critical of the Pharisees. They're too focused on the minutia of law, you know, and they're missing the bigger picture of, of, of the, you know, of, of existence, of morality, of God sometimes. They get involved with whether or not you have the right, you know, hexure on a, on a bottle. And, you know, and this is exactly some of the things that Jesus was observing are the same type of problems and corruptions that Judaism and that the rabbis have today. And the kind of debate that he engaged in was a very classic rabbinic debate. It really makes me think that Jesus was at least well-versed in, if not an expert, Talmudic rabbi himself, because that's the Talmudic method. And that uh, his claim to messiahship was also very Jewish, and it did not go outside of the Judaic understanding. In the same way, for example, that the Chabad rabbi Schneerson is viewed as a messiah by his devout followers. Now, I don't happen to agree with that, but I understand it, and it fits within the Jewish context. So, you know, he, he um, I guess the reassessment is that he was a, a devout Jew all his life, and the people around him were all Jews, and that they viewed this as a Jewish savior and as a Jewish experience. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that, that's, that's the reassessment that I was going to talk about. That is, uh, that is fascinating to hear. And I mean, I do. I, I've known enough Jews, including uh, religious Jews, that, yeah, I know these conversations occur. And I know it is very much like, like, like there's Jews who are like, well, do these people know, know God at all or are they just pagans? And then there's others who are like, well, no, they're, they're really more likely to talk like you. It's, it winds up being a debate in Jewish circles, doesn't it? Right. Well, sure. I mean, we don't, Jews very rarely agree on anything. That's, but we, that's but one we, thing you could say Jews like, <laughs> it's a good argument, right? However, I just want to impress upon your listeners that we do believe in God. That is the, the, the basis. We worship God, and we believe in the, the moral and ethical precepts of God, and that there is a creator of the universe, a divine giver of the law that exists outside of the manipulation of man. In other words, we, can't, we don't make it up. We look to a, an immutable source that exists outside of us and that's uncorruptible, and that we try to know that source as best we can. We strive to worship that source and, and know it, not, not, uh, not try to pretend that we're gods. Well, okay. So, oh, gosh, I just want to talk to you about 10 more things, but we're going to wrap up in the next 10, 10 15 minutes or so here. Um, uh, what then... And, and isn't it somewhat undeniable? What, I mean, you know, again, dirty secret. I've had Jewish, Jewish friends admit this to me, that, 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 there's, that they're not supposed to, but that in, implicit in the Jewish religion is the Jews are the chosen people and God's chosen people and their role to be the priests of the world eventually. Isn't there a certain innate in Jewish, not just separatism, but superiorism that, well, well, you call it, for lack of a word, racism um, that, that, that inherently comes out of this. What would you say to that allegation? Yes, I think that there's, there's a, certainly a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of what the chosen people idea means in Jewish circles. I think it has been corrupted to a certain degree by the, the experience of di the diaspora and this kind of tribal need to... Uh, retain our identity in 2,000 years without having a sovereign state and, and, and often under adversarial circumstances, you know, you do develop a sort of a separateness and a tribalism. Uh, but that's, at the end of the day, that is not what the chosen people means. First of all, it's not a race issue. We are chosen, we believe, by God not to 
be better than anyone, not to rule over anyone, but to serve God. We are chosen to take on an extra layer of observance so that we can try to make ourselves holy and thus be an example to everyone else, be a light unto the nations. By serving God, not by doing, not by controlling governments, not, you know, this gets into the Jewish conspiracy theories. It's 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 not a secular thing. It's not a, you know, it's not a demand that we 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 physically rule over anyone else. It's or even ourselves. It is more that we elevate ourselves spiritually and try to know God. That's why we're chosen. We're chosen for that mission. And and as such, we are serving everyone else by knowing God and by taking on extra responsibilities and extra things. And when I say extra responsibilities, I'm talking about, you know, kosher. I'm talking about observing the Sabbath and the holidays. I'm you talking have- about, you know, prayer and and uh, and other various practices that are, are commanded us in the Torah. I I understand that, although I, I, I do see something to, you know, a lot of what Michael Jones says, uh, because that Tikkun Olam idea, at least anyway, would seem like it could be very easily perverted, especially to, a, to let's just say, a godless Jew, um, or uh, just uh, to just mean, well, Tikkun Olam is whatever's good for us right now. Which will all add, or, or whatever, whatever we say is for the good, not necessarily what other people say is for the good. I, I think it could devolve into that very quickly. I agree. Especially if you're not very devout. Oh, it's certainly not devout. Look, I mean, it becomes communist when you take God out of the picture. It becomes like, I'm going to, you know, because I'm better than you, because I'm, you know, it's the sin of the Garden of Eden. I know everything, I know good and evil, I'm the elite. And thus, I can rule over others for their own good. This is the communist idea. This is antithetical to Judaism, but a lot of Jews are attracted to that because of uh, maybe a yearning. Because we don't have the benefits of actually, in a way, we don't have the benefits of we haven't had the benefits of Christianity, in that we haven't had governments, we haven't had armies, we haven't had popes. You know, we haven't had our own, you know, ability to to control our own destiny in a sense we've been we've been buffeted about in in other people's houses so i think that that has a lot to do with this um this attraction to an earthly messianic movement um and it's a corrupting element within judaism i have talked about um the corruption that occurred in the 17th century with the false messiah shabtes v i've done several programs about that that was a, a very, very devastating blow to Judaism, and that it's one that continues to reverberate in the soul of Judaism. It's one that I would, I as a Jew, and I hope others want to expose and want to expiate by exposing it, uh, because it brought us away from a godly understanding of chosen people, a godly understanding of our mission in the world, and, and it moved us in the direction of uh, trying to force you know, through the hand of man, the, the corrupt hand of man, uh, people to change human nature. This is, it, it, it's a very evil, um, he was a very evil figure. And, and I think that he corrupted many generations of Jews. And there's a whole interesting story. Uh, it was actually Rabbi Marvin Antelman who wrote a two-volume set, the late Rabbi Marvin Antelman, called To Eliminate the Opiate, which I recommend. Uh, on this topic. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go back to my model because the because I think there's a shared connection that we have here. I talked to Misha Popov. Uh, and he and he sees it too, and, and others I've talked to see it too. Um, I know you're making a defense of Zionism as having deep spiritual roots. Okay, but if we look at this chart of what politics looks like. It's very obvious to me that the two most dangerous, well, the three most dangerous groups within any group of people are these top three. Because when I say secular ethnic nationalists, what is a secular ethnic nationalist? Well, they may have some kind of pagan rich trappings, but ultimately the state or the ethnicity, what they're defining as the, as the people, comes first. So in the case of a secular Arabist, an Arab nationalist, it's however he defines the Arab people that he thinks he's serving, not God. 
The globalist Marxist is the same way. He doesn't think he's serving God. He think, in fact, he spits on the idea of God. Um, and of course, the thug and the gangster, he don't care either. He's going wherever the money goes, or where the power goes, or wherever the sex goes. Pious religious people, um, uh, even if they don't share the same religion, I know some Catholics get mad at me, but I'm telling you, I find this is even true among Muslims. I keep, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me, because, but I mean, quite a few devout Muslims I know are just appalled by uh, the extremes and by globalist communism. They hate it. They 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 hate ethnic nationalism. Is suspicious of it. They knows that there's a thug element. Um, Maybe that'll get us too far afield because I think the Islamic religion gets manipulated by globalist leftist forces. I don't, and by secular ethnic forces. I, I don't. I don't think Islam is the problem. Islamofascism and globalist Marxists uh, manipulating them uh, is is the real issue. I don't know. Is that too big a topic to tackle right now? Well, first of all, I would I would just like to say that I do not think that nationalism is a bad word. No, it's a not. bad idea. No, it's not. Um, you know, ethnic nationalism, uh, yeah. you know, is is you know, it's it's part of it. The United States is not, I would argue, an ethnic national state. Nope. We're nope. multi-ethnic and we're multi-religious. Nope. With right. a with a roots with our roots being uh, Anglo-Saxon English, but right. nevertheless, it's you know, I understand that other states are ethnic national. France is French, right? Italy is Italian. Spain yeah. is Spanish. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, and I think that nations have a right to determine yeah, the me... nature of their culture and, and their nationhood. What I have a problem with is when nationalism becomes international in that it becomes this idea that the nation has a right to, it becomes like a an exportable movement which seeks to create a world order. You know, the globalists. Yeah. Um I think that you and I probably agree that uh, this clique of globalists, which has existed in every generation, but uh-huh. has taken the high ground over the past maybe, I don't know, 200 years, mm-hmm. is, is is really problematic because it's trying to subvert the national interests of of the nation state and, uh, and create a one world ant colony, if you will. Well, um, yeah. let, let me clarify a point for you because... I think those words secular and ethnic are, there's the reason I put that in there. Because I agree with you completely that nationalism is not a bad word. In fact, nations are a natural development and, and, and will exist and should be recognized. It's rather oppressive not to. Whether the modern nation state is the way of doing it is a completely different topic, but the existence of nations is a good thing. But when your ideology is rooted around the ethnicity, when your ethnicity is secular, where you start declaring God basically doesn't matter or God comes second, then you have the dangerous eugenicists and the other craziness that came out of the Likud party. You have the Nazis. You have the fascists. You have these nationalists. But ultimately, they're godless. They've put put the state or their idea of the ethnicity above all else, like where God's supposed to go. Do you see what I mean there? Yes, I do. And I think that, yeah, I mean, you want to have a an ethnicity that has religious base. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, I, I support that. I think that um, I'm, I'm an advocate of that. I don't think the Likud is particularly secular either, by the way. They I have mean, a history I, of being, but okay. Well, I mean, I think that you get religious... You know levels of religiosity um, in in both the Likud and the labor movements. Um, I hope that Israel continues to find its footing as both a nationalist nation state and as a Jewish state, and that I don't see these two ideas as uh, contradictory to each other. But it needs to be religious too. It needs to be godly in some fashion. It's not going to work, Chuck. That is. I agree. I totally agree with that, and I think that. Um, you know, Israel, if, if you, you know, is actually more religious than even most Israelis realize. Um, and, and yet, you know, they, they, the national part of it is very important because Israel does continue to face a genocidal threat. Uh, you know, and, and as such, there needs to be a, 
Yeah, it's somewhat of an abnormal situation. It's not, you know, it's Israel is not like Massachusetts, where I am. You know, I don't think that I'm worried about, you know, Canada sending suicide bombers over the border anytime soon. You know, they're dealing with some real stuff over there. And, and so, yeah, they're a little bit maybe stronger than what we're used to. I hope that that situation someday normalizes. Uh, I think that, well, I mean, I've written a book about this called The Nazi Connection of Islamic Terrorism, where I point out that actually when Israel was just in its infancy, right, right, around, right after World War I, you had a, a pretty religious Islamic movement headed by King Faisal of Syria, who was considered himself to be a direct descendant of, of Muhammad and who was the number one Muslim figure of his day, signed a, an accord with Israel, with, uh, with Chaim Weizmann, called the Weizmann-Faisal Accords, part of the uh, Treaty of Paris, at the end, which ended World War I, where he recognized the Jewish state and, and, and urged Jews to come back to their homeland and create a modern state but one that would respect the Muslim minority and respect Muslim holy places. And he did that because he was hoping that this new emerging modern state would help the emerging Arab states also modernize and develop technology and develop democracy and develop all of the blessings that uh, the Jews embodied at that time. And, and he was subverted by radical Muslims, uh, particularly the, character, the main character of my book, the Hajjamin al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, who launched suicide bombers, not against Jews, not even against the British, but against fellow Muslims who were not falling in line with his radicalized view. He was also one of the founders of the Muslim Brotherhood, and he allied himself with Hitler during World War II. So you had the germination of what we have today, which is a radicalized version of Islam, which emphasizes the more radical second half of the Quran and which is, uh, it's almost a hybridized faith that has a lot more in common with communism than anything else. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear you say that because a lot of people flip out when I, uh, when I say things like that. I, I, I've had similar thoughts to yours, although I suspect yours are more developed in research than mine because I know enough about the history. The, the most rabid, lurid things they tell you about Islam are generally not true. That doesn't mean it's a all fluffy bunnies and light history, but people analyze it stupidly. Well, this has been fascinating, Chuck, and I've really appreciated uh, bringing you on. Everybody, please be sure to look for Charles Moskowitz's YouTube channel, especially. This is his main channel for now. Charles, M-O-S-C-O-W-I-T-Z. There's only about 15 ways of spelling Mos Moskowitz, but it's that's uh, this actually, Moskowitz. Exactly. Son of, son of Moses is what it means. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, shalom. Um, everybody, please, uh, we'll have the link in the low bar. We will have the link on redpillreligion.com. Everybody give us a like and a subscribe. Find us on BitChute and find us on Libri, which we're going to be starting building real soon now. And find us on MeWe, uh, uh, we Gather app and other social media. And uh, otherwise, uh, God bless everybody. Max, thank you so much for having me on. I hope that you may consider coming on my show as well.